and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Joe Dunman, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies at Moorhead State University. We will discuss his article, The Devil in Recent American Law, which is published in the Pace Law Review. So welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. When I saw your paper on SSRN, I knew I was going to have to interview about it. And it was just a bonus that I knew you uh, through Twitter already, which made it that much easier. But I'm just fascinated for some reason by like supernatural implications for for legal issues. Uh, and I've talked to some other people about this subject b- before. Um, I, I, I wonder if for the purpose of the podcast, it wouldn't be helpful if you start by talking a little bit about why in theory courts probably shouldn't be talking about the subjects that you're covering in your paper in in the first place. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, I too am really interested in the devil, but mostly because I'm a huge metal fan. I've, I've been really into heavy metal my whole life. And, and this for any uh, future researchers sitting around wondering, how, how do you start a research paper? This is how you do it. You sit in your office and you say, I wonder what courts have talked about the devil, right? I wonder, I wonder how Satan ever comes up. And so you do a Westlaw search for the word Satan and you start pouring through the cases and you start to realize that the devil comes up in lots of different uh, scenarios. Uh, he comes up in defamation cases. He comes up in criminal trials. He comes up, uh, wardens and inmates are always fighting about the devil. Um, and so, so Satan appears in all these different areas of our law and mostly because Satan is this area of dispute, right? Uh, uh, Satanic uh, association is usually uh, something uh, that causes social strife. Um, and so anything that the, any kind of social strife results in litigation usually. Um, and so uh, uh, there's lots of case law on the topic. Now, why shouldn't there be any case law? Well, the Supreme Court, as you know, and hopefully everybody knows, is they have repeatedly said, when it comes to religion, the courts have no jurisdiction, right? The, you and your God, you and your church are outside the jurisdiction of the, of the you know, civil court system. Uh, the reason is we don't want to have heresy trials. The last thing we want is to start trying to figure out if one person's religion is true and the other person's religion is false. Um, you know, the, the famous U.S. Supreme Court case of Ballard, um, uh, Justice Douglas you know, said, look, your relationship with God is no, no concern of the state. Uh, we don't do heresy trials here. And yeah, Ballard was probably ripping people off by lying about his religious beliefs. But hey, that's not for us to judge. Uh, we just can't get involved in that kind of thing. And this doctrine dates back even farther to the 1800s with uh, uh, the Watson case, uh, where the Supreme Court said, look, if you get in a fight with your church, it's none of our business, right? We, we, that's between you and your church. We can't get involved because then it starts, we start becoming an inquisition. Um, and so nevertheless, um, Satan comes up in lots of uh, secular ways and, and you can separate, I guess, where they at least try to separate the religious impact of Satan um, from the social impact of Satan, which is actually pretty profound um, because when you're accused of being a devil worshiper, other people around you, in a, at least in the United States through our history, start to look at you funny. And it's, it, it can really hurt your reputation. It can turn a jury against you. It can uh, uh, result in solitary confinement because your warden hates you now. Um, it has profound uh, implications that we consider, you know, to have legal import. Um, uh, 
And so it, I, I kind of try, I, I focused on five different areas of the law uh, where, where Satan comes up a lot. And that's defamation claims, uh, uh, criminal trials uh, where uh, guilt, both guilt and sentencing are, are at issue, um, witness credibility and, and also a testamentary capacity. Uh, there's also, of course, in prison, uh, warden, warden versus prisoner battles over uh, uh, religious practice. And then finally, Satan comes up a lot in litigation as a party, uh, either as the, as the defendant a couple times, but uh, also as the, the actual plaintiff. Um, people, people taking on uh, uh, the title of Satan or accusing the warden of being Satan himself, uh, stuff like that. So uh, it com- comes up in lots of different interesting contexts. Right. So, I mean, it did strike me that the the kind of area of law that you started with, defamation, was really the one that felt like it created the most sort of direct tension or conflict with the sort of concept of separation of church of state and the sort of putative agnosticism of courts when it comes to matters of religious belief and and practice. So, I mean, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how Satan comes up in that context yeah. and how courts as you've seen it, have wrestled with whether or not like alleging Satanism or a connection to Satan or some sort of like satanic element of somebody's life or religious practice could constitute a uh, a viable defamation claim. Right. Well, to, to understand how Satan uh, uh, weaves his way through defamation, you have to go back to the witch trials. Um, you know, in, in the colonial era, uh, both in England and in the United States, uh, we, we executed people for being uh, witches. Usually that was, you know, you were in league with Satan himself and he was giving you special powers and you were using them for evil. Um, as we you know, as we now generally think, mostly those, of course, were bogus accusations of people that uh, were, for whatever reason, uh, disliked by the community. Um, I, I'm not sure they proved anybody had any supernatural powers. Um, but uh, we know lots of witches, uh, accused witches were executed. But there were lots of accused witches that were also exonerated uh, who were not convicted. And what they usually did was immediately file suit for defamation. Uh, it is, after all, quite harmful to your reputation and uh, you know, the little theocracies of colonial uh, America, Massachusetts especially, um, where the church was in, in control of society. It's very harmful to your reputation to be accused of being a witch. And so there's lots of, lots of case law where uh, uh, the, the acquitted witches would then file suit um, and the, the courts would frequently award them damages or, or uh, an injunction. Or, I don't know if they called it an injunction back then, but uh, they would compel the accuser to recant and to admit to others that they weren't actually a witch and it was a false accusation. Um, it got so bad in parts of colonial America that, you know, in Virginia, they passed a law that you would be fined a thousand pounds for a false witchcraft accusation. Uh, it was it was a constant uh, a tactic to uh, to hurt your your enemies, right? Not not in a, even in a religious sense, in a social sense, right? You could target your enemies, uh, besmirch their reputation, and uh, you know, and maybe they might actually get uh, you know executed for it. But you know the 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 Lockean uh, era uh, descended upon the United States. We we formed a country with uh, the First Amendment. Uh, we had lots of founders uh, uh, starting to embrace the, the separation of church and state in various capacities, um, and witch trials disappeared. 
But accusations of witchcraft did not disappear. People still used it because they were very religious communities. And so uh, you still have claims. And what the courts during this time, most of these most of these early cases occurred outside of church. It wasn't an internal church dispute. And people would use this because most of the community was religious, even if they didn't attend your same congregation. And so the case law starts to build where the courts reach a conclusion that a false accusation of being a Satan worshiper is a big harm to a person. It's a big injury, and it's something you can sue over. Now, with the history of defamation, there's libel and slander. Um, Slander per se, generally speaking, they would not recognize claims unless it directly hurts your profession or it was an accusation of a crime. And so once witchcraft stopped being a crime, it was tougher to win these cases. But lots uh, lots of plaintiffs still won. Uh, by suing and saying, look, this guy wrote in the newspaper that I am in league with Satan because I was promoting religious freedom. Um, and a, a court said, yeah, you're right. That does that does hurt your reputation. And he can't prove that you actually worship Satan. And so you get damages for that. Um, and so that developed over years. Now, of course, it, it does get tricky when when the dispute occurs inside of a church. And, and I profile a couple cases in my paper um, more recent where somebody actually did, uh, these disputes arise out of what seem to be actual secular disputes. And the first case I talk about is this case uh, of a guy named Gregory Howard, and he's in Cincinnati, and he goes to this church called the Covenant of, uh, Apostolic Church, and I can I can use their name because they no longer exist. The church is shut down. Um, but he he accuses the elders of stealing money. Right? He's saying, look, you guys are robbing the congregation blind. You're just stealing money, and I don't like it. We're going to sue you over it. And so he sues. But after the lawsuit ends, I don't know if they settled or whatnot, but after the lawsuit's over, the elders retaliated against him and excommunicated him from the church. And they said, look, Howard, you're in league with Satan, man. Um, you are, uh, you're in league with Satan. You've been overtaken by a fall. Uh, you, you are in with the defiler. Obviously, this was not good for Howard's reputation. Uh, he considered it, you know, uh, defamatory, and so he sued. And the, the Ohio Court of Appeals said, "Man, you can't sue. This is an internal church problem. Uh, whether or not you're in league with Satan is a is a question for your church, not for us." And so his his case got tossed. Uh, that said, in Iowa, uh, this, there's a, a lady named Clevenstein. Okay, Clevenstein was a problem in her church. Uh, she she apparently was a source of regular discord. Uh, and a, a supervising minister from the lar- larger national congregation came to visit the church because he heard there had been problems. So he shows up, and soon he quickly discovers that Clibenstein is behind a lot of the trouble in the, in the congregation. So instead of uh, uh, dealing with it purely internally, he writes a letter to the congregation and the whole community, apparently, and said, the spirit of Satan is working in your midst, and it's time to get rid of her. Well, Clippenstein didn't like this. She sued and said, look, I am the obvious target of spirit of Satan, which is an interesting claim for a plaintiff, to, <laughs> an interesting uh, concession for a plaintiff to make, I think. Um, but she says, look, I'm the obvious target of this letter and it, you, you are spreading it around that I'm the spirit of Satan and that's, that hurts my reputation. So you owe me. And the Supreme Court of Iowa said, yeah, yeah, they, you, they do. This is defamatory and it, we do have jurisdiction because you wrote the letter not just to the church, but to the whole community. And that changes the effect. But also what they said was, Satan has a secular meaning. It's more than just religious. Being accused of Satan worship hurts your reputation 
in the larger community, no matter what, because we all as Americans with a Christian background and majority Christian uh, identification, when someone accuses you of that, everybody knows what it means. It means you're a bad person. You do bad things. You're not trustworthy. And so it has more than a religious meaning. It has a secular meaning as well. And therefore you can sue over it. And so those are the, the, the two, uh, uh, I think, interesting approaches of the corset. Because ultimately, Howard's case was probably as secular as Clevenstein's, right? It, it was not really a question of whether he was really in league with Satan. His elders were just mad at him and they needed a reason to kick him out. And so they accused him of being in with the devil. Um, I, I don't think the, tr- the court would lack jurisdiction in that case, but they, they uh, opted not to take it anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that, you know, in a lot of ways, the most kind of familiar Satanism, devil worshiping type accusations that I recall in my lifetime are the, you know, the very unfortunate kind of satanic panic of the 1990s and so on. And the people who were pursued for all of these claims that they did all kinds of bad things in the context of, of, of devil worship that turned out none of which turned out to be true as far as I'm aware, or at least almost none of which turned out, turned out to be true. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, I wonder like to the extent that these kinds of accusations are being made in a criminal context, they seem to sort of rely on a similar kind of bad association and to say in a sense, like most, the majority overwhelming majority of people consider themselves uh, Christian believers and therefore saying this defendant not only did a bad thing, but did a bad thing motivated by Satanism is like a way of, it it seems like a similar kind of thing is like saying you should convict them because they're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, that's, that comes up in the second part of my art in my article, I talk about, you know, the courts have established for the purposes of defamation, they, they've, they've, you know, established, look, a Satan accusation will hurt your reputation in the community. Well, if you're a prosecutor and you know that, right, what's the the number one thing you want to accuse your defendant of being, right? A Satanist. You know it's going to hurt their reputation. You know it's going to make it easier to convict them. And that's, it comes up a lot in that context too, where uh, folks are accused of devil worship. And that's, that was the, the, uh, the motive they had for their murder was their, you know, they're just, uh, well, one, one argument is that just by being a Satan worshiper, you are a bad person anyway, like a propensity argument. Uh, but the, the courts dodge that bullet because, you know, you're not supposed to bring propensity evidence uh, in uh, admit propensity evidence. So they say, OK, well, actually, what it does is it speaks to motive. Um, uh, clearly, if you worship Satan, you're going to be motivated to hurt others. That's we just know that. And some courts literally just say, well, we just know that. Um uh, how do they know that? Well, they just do, right? I mean, it's, we live in this society. We know how things work and we know that, you know, Satan is bad. And if you are worshiping him, then you're certainly going to murder people. Um, uh, and so it, it, lots of prosecutors have tried that over the years to varying effect. Um, uh, one of the cases I, I talk about, um, a defendant is accused of stealing some clothes from a, uh, a clothing store. And when they, they catch him in his bag is a book um, that, and the title escapes me right now. I'll find it in just a second. They find a book about the devil in his bag. Okay. But the book is written. Um, the, oh, the book is called Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Okay. Satan is alive and well. The book is actually written by a Christian minister who, who's spending the book saying about how terrible the devil is and how we should all fight them. 
But the prosecutor admits the book, just the cover of it, and doesn't have any explanation. Just says, this book was found in your bag. And it says, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. Wink, wink, jury. We know what that means. And Tate's attorney tries to object and say, well, let him explain this. And the, and the trial court won't let him do it. And the trial court, uh, uh, you know, the, the prosecutor objects to the, well, the prosecutor uh, uh, fights the objection and uh, the court says, no, you, you, you don't need to explain this, right? The, the book for, speaks for itself. Uh, on appeal, the court, court of Appeals of Iowa said, no, you can't do that, right? I mean, the title of the book is is meant to attract buyers. It's, it's purposely controversial. If it's in his bag, let him explain why. And so he can tell the jury that it's not actually him worshiping Satan at all. Um, you know, it's, Satan did not motivate him to steal some pants. And so let him explain what the book is about. Uh, so they reversed his conviction on that ground. So prosecutors try it. Sometimes they get away with it. Sometimes they don't. A lot of times courts say courts do the trick where, you know, yeah, you used um, religious evidence uh, to convict this fellow, but the other evidence was so overwhelming, it just didn't matter. Right. I mean, we found the bloody knife in his possession. You you could have accused him of anything and it wouldn't have mattered. We, we had the murder weapon. So, um yeah, so that comes up a lot. But I mean, prosecutors are not dumb. They know that uh, a lot of jurors are not going to re- react well to an accusation of devil worship. And so they try to use it. And the and uh, the courts are more, I don't mean to, to talk endlessly about this, I could, um, but but courts at the sentencing phase um, are, are much more permissive. You, If you are accused of Satan worship at the sentencing phase, it's probably going to get in. Um, and usually they use it as, well, it's an aggravating factor. You can, you can use that kind of evidence as an aggravating factor. Um, even though it would not, it would not prove you're guilty or innocent, but we're not, we're past that point. And now we're just trying to figure out what kind of punishment you deserve. And we know Satanists deserve as harsh punishment as we can dole out. Mm -hmm. Well, so I couldn't help but wonder, like, to what extent are courts actually applying and I guess applying appropriately and accurately the rules of evidence to determining whether or not this evidence of satanic belief or satanic practice is actually appropriately admissible. I mean, it seems at the very least they would have to substantiate in some way that that satanic belief or satanic practice would actually be a relevant aggravating factor, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, as far as you know, there's a specific case that I, I talk about in the article too. A guy named uh, Costel. Costel talked about himself as a high priest of Satan, right? He he, he had yeah, the book lists the evidence found in his in his apartment after he, he was um, he was convicted of murder, and they they found books, posters, and plastic skulls and bats. And as we know, Satanists collect plastic skulls and bats. Um, they find all this and and he says, look, this didn't have anything to do with my murder. This is just who I am. And Pennsylvania, where, where he was convicted, has a specific law that says no religious belief can be evidence, right? None. It is a categorical ban, statutory categorical ban on religious evidence. And the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania had two previous cases that had, had struck down the use of such evidence. Uh, but nevertheless... Uh, the court in in his case found no error, and they said, "Look, the jury wasn't compelled to believe he was a Satanist, right? They could have decided for themselves. Um, and even if it's prejudicial, it wasn't unfairly so. Um, and so, yeah, they can hear that you're a Satanist and and consider uh, whether or not you go to jail based on that. Um, as far 
I mean, it seems pretty clear, right? There's a ban on propensity evidence. We, we don't, we don't accuse people. I mean, we don't convict people based on who they are, um, or, or what their tendencies may be. You got to prove that they actually did the thing. Um, and the courts, when it comes to Satanists, at least in the cases I, I researched and found, the courts are pretty permissive when it, be, when it comes to Satanists. Um, they usually they find one of the loopholes in that rule, right? If it speaks to motive or identity or something like that, um, they seize on those and let, uh, and let the evidence in. And then on appeal, the courts say, well, you had lots of other evidence. And so th- this wasn't dispositive. And so therefore there was no error. Mm-hmm. Well, you did say that at least courts have courts have concluded that while they can't evaluate the truth or falsity of religious belief, they can evaluate the sincerity of a particular believer's actual beliefs in what they profess to be believing. And it seemed like that was sort of most relevant or salient in the context of like insanity defenses and also like mental capacity in general to sort of engage in different kinds of future oriented behavior. Like what have courts looked to and what seems to matter to them in evaluating the sincerity of an alleged or professed belief in, in Satan or related ideas? Yeah, that, that area of the law using using a, a satanic belief to attack not just credibility but capacity right capacity to commit a crime capacity to leave a will that's where that's where the real trouble i think comes in where the courts really get into trouble um as far as the assessment of religious belief um you know it is it's a it's an old tenant of of you know our our first amendment law and especially under rifra um rifra and uh, relupa the, you know the laws that deal with religious uh, uh free exercise that you don't go farther than sincerity all you have to do is assess that the person actually believes something you don't have to test whether it's true or anything like that and also generally the courts the courts just take you at your word I'm not familiar with any case that says this belief is not sincere. And they're probably out there, but most of them say the court just says right up front, we're not going to question the sincerity. We'll assume it's true and we'll move on to the next steps in the analysis. Well, there are cases where you can be too sincere. Okay. You can be too sincere in your, in your religious belief. And if you are, the court might deem that you're crazy. Um, And, and, it, this is interesting too, because this isn't the government stepping in and, and, and saying you're too sincere and you're going to be punished for it. Usually this is defendants themselves raising this issue and they do it mostly through an insanity defense or some kind of affirmative defense where they say, look, I lack capacity to appreciate right from wrong. There's, I can't be convicted for this, right? I'm not, I can't go to prison. Just put me in a hospital because I'm nuts. And, and to do that, what they have to, what they generally bring to the table is a claim that they sincerely believe that the devil is real and not just real, but motivating their actions in, in on earth. Defendants who claim, look, the reason I stabbed that guy was because he, I, I saw Satan in his face and I had to cut the devil out of him. Um, what, there's a, a case where a, a husband is found on the side of the road. Uh, he and his wife uh, are on a road trip to Florida from Ohio and the cops found them on, on I-75 in Georgia. And he is sitting in his car and his wife is dead next to him. And the officers say, well, what happened? And he says, well, I, she had the devil in her and I had to choke it out of her. And so he, he says, look, I had a literal belief in Satan. Satan, I, 
you can't convict me for, you know, for this murder. I didn't appreciate what was real or not. Well, to say that someone who has a sincere belief in Satan doesn't appreciate what's real or not seems like it's a religious test to me. Um, you're, you're saying that it, it's not possible for Satan to be real and to be motivating their actions, right? It's not real life to say that. And so we will not hold you accountable for your actions because you're just not grounded in reality. That seems like a religious test to me. And now I don't have a, a good alternative uh, to that problem uh, because we do appreciate that, like, if you can't appreciate what's wrong or right, we can't convict you of a crime, right? We, we have to deal, deal with you some way, uh, some way else. You need treatment or, or something uh, or, or, you know, some kind of, uh, of any, anything other than prison. We can't convict you of this crime. But it, it's just a weird area of the law because it, we, we allow insanity defenses and the courts appreciate that there is such thing as – what the, the courts call them hyper-religious delusions. Okay, There's such thing as a hyper-religious delusion. And that's where your, your religious belief is just too sincere for the rest of us, um, which is really problematic. You know, it's, We're not supposed to it, – it's just weird. In, you know, in the discrimination of free exercise area, we have one approach to religion – but in criminal law, we have a, a, a very uh, a different approach and how the courts can reconcile their role as a, as a civil arbiter and not a religious arbiter uh, with, with their inquiry into somebody's religious beliefs in that context. I don't know. I don't know how they reconcile it. And they mostly just don't talk about it. They just, they just get the doctors on the stand and they say, well, did he literally believe Satan was in charge of all his actions? Yes, he did. Okay, well, we won't hold him guilty. Um, so it's just it's it's a very strange area of the law and and it's um it, it raises all kinds of first amendment issues and lots of uh, uh jurisdictional issues for me but uh, the courts don't seem to mind mm -hmm. well i noticed something kind of parallel or maybe just kind of vaguely similar in the prison context as well in which the stories you describe really seem to reflect a kind of very explicit viewpoint discrimination against people who express religious beliefs relating to Satan or the devil, as opposed to people expressing any other kind of religious beliefs. How, how can that be? Well, I mean, a couple ways. Yeah. In, in the fourth part of the paper, I talk about the incarcerated devil and there's a problem. Uh, when you when you appreciate that the courts have said, look, any kind of association with Satan is going to look bad on you, right? That's why you can sue for defamation when it's false. Um, uh, that that kind of association is viewed by others as very bad. Well, it's definitely viewed as very bad by prison wardens, uh, and most prison wardens, I assume, are Christians in this country. And a lot of states have very specific book bans in prisons, and almost all of them include the Satanic Bible by Anton Lavey. Almost all of them include that Bible. That 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 book is banned categorically. You may not have a copy of that in prison. Okay, the, those prison systems do not ban the Bible. They don't ban the Quran. Those by those holy books are considered protected, uh, and you, so you can't ban them. But the Satanic Bible is different. Uh, uh, Satanists in general. I, I mentioned this in the in the paper. Most Satanists do not consider themselves religious people. Most Satanists are actually atheists or agnostic, uh, and it's a it's kind of a secular way of looking at the world or a protest against organized religion. Um, but some honestly do. You know, some some in prison do have, uh, claim a religious belief in Satan, uh, and you know, one of the books they often seek is the Satanic Bible, and and prisons deny it to them just just outright. And the courts uphold these bans. And mostly they do so by deferring to the wardens, right? 
most most judges in these cases say, look, I don't know how to write, run a prison. The warden knows how to run a prison. And if they think it's a security threat to have this book, we're just going to defer to them, right? We're going to trust their judgment here. Uh, some courts actually read through the book and they, they, they single out passages that seem violent or, or to uh, favor violence, um, even though, of course, you could do that with both the Quran and the Bible. Um, the Bible is full of, of violent episodes and prescriptions of violence. Leviticus says all kinds of, you know, if you wear mixed fabrics, you should be stoned to death and stuff like that. Um, but of course the, 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 the Bible is not banned anywhere. Um, and so one, one prisoner, uh, brought not just a, a free exercise claim to his right to have, um, uh, the satanic Bible, but he also brought an equal protection claim. And what he said was, well, you're singling me out for my religious identity, but not singling out Christians. You know, their book is just as questionable as my book is in some ways. And yet I'm the one who's punished and they, they get whatever they want. And the court just, they were like, yeah, you don't really have a good claim here. And also your book is really bad. So no, um, there, there is, there's one court, um, like I said, for the most part, and I, I listed in the, in the article, most federal courts have ruled in favor of the prisons. Uh, you're just not going to, especially in places like Alabama and Kentucky and whatnot, you are just not going to get a copy of the Satanic Bible in prison. No matter how sincere your religious belief is, no, no matter how clear you can, I mean, to me, it seems like that's a substantial burden on your religion to, to be denied your holy book. But the courts don't seem that concerned because they view uh, the Satanic Bible itself as a security threat. If you read this thing, you're going to become a murderous monster in prison and we can't trust you with it is essentially what they argue. Um, but there was there's one uh, one plaintiff got a, uh, he, he requested some implements. He said, look, I want to have uh, I want to practice some satanic rituals. Mostly I just want to light candles and, you know, and, and uh, meditate to myself for a while in a, in a broom closet if you'll give me that space. Uh, and, this, and the court said, yeah, you can have that. You're not really a security threat. The prison had to show that you were a danger f by having these things. Uh, they let other people have similar uh, items like candles and, and uh, I think you asked for uh, uh, some sticks or something like we, you let other, you let other prisoners have th these kinds of implements for their own religious practices. You're not going to hurt anybody. You've got, they've got no proof you've ever hurt anybody in prison. So yeah, you can have this stuff. It, it violates your religious exercise to not have this stuff. Um, but he didn't ask for a copy of the satanic Bible either. So generally speaking, if you ask, you ask for that book, you're not going to get it and you're going to lose your court case too, even though it's in any other context, right? A Christian plaintiff who said it substantially burdens my religion to not have a copy of the Bible. I highly doubt any court in the country would would disagree. Mm, mm. Well, so one of the more amusing sections of the paper is your discussion of Satan or the devil as being kind of a party to or somehow imply like implicated in actual litigation. And probably the most famous example of that is the Mayo v. Satan and his staff case. But you mentioned a few others. I wonder if you could talk briefly about sort of what courts do when they're confronted with those kinds of problems, I guess. Yeah. It, well, I mean, here, here comes jurisdiction again. Um, you know, Mayo's got the funny, you know, uh, Mayo versus Satan and his staff, and and Mayo sues uh, uh, Satan for violating his civil rights um, in in Pennsylvania, and the court mostly just says, "Look, there's <laughs> we don't have jurisdiction over Satan because you haven't proved he lives in Pennsylvania. I mean, obviously he, he wasn't able to serve him either, um, 
But he says, you know, you don't, we don't, Satan doesn't live here. We got a big jurisdictional problem. You know, if you find where Satan lives, maybe you can sue him then. But otherwise, you're, it's, we just can't, uh, uh, we can't decide this case for you. And they make some jokes and they, they make a reference to uh, the Daniel and Debs, Daniel, uh, the devil and Daniel Webster and all the rest. So um, it's very funny, but there's other, there's another situation where um, a, a plaintiff sued uh, the church of Satan for uh, rejecting his, his membership inquiry um, there. It was a prison inmate, and what he did was he tried to send a letter to the Church of Satan, and the warden intercepted it, and then sent a funny note saying, back saying, "Sorry, we're not going to let you in with the force of darkness." Um, and then he he tried to sue, and they said, "Well, you know, th this is a 1983 claim against the Church of Satan. They're not a government actor. You just can't bring this kind of claim." Um, but it gets funnier when when plaintiffs start naming religious entities as their defendants. Um, and there's uh, there's the case of uh, Dominic Brown who who brought a claim against. Uh, uh, let me make sure I get this list right. Uh, the super rich Illuminate T Worlders, the Antichrist, uh, also Pope Francis, the United Nations, and their so called New World Order of Satan. So he sues all these parties, uh, and the the court the court the only one it takes it's really a habeas petition is what it is. Uh, he 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 files for habeas protection uh, in federal court. He names his warden as well as Satan and the New World Order and the the reptilians and everybody else. Uh, and the court generally just approaches the the warden issue and ignores the whole rest of the thing. Um, so that happens a lot. Um, a, go a guy in Minnesota sued uh, aliens, demons, and devils, and UFOs, some good and some evil. He, he qualifies that some are good and some are evil. Uh, Prophet Ezekiel's Wheel, Reptoids and Reptilians, The New World Order of Satan, number 666, Fall of Satanic Same-Sex Marriages. Um, so th this is his whole list of defendants in this claim. Uh, and for mo mostly, uh, the courts dismiss. And the court, in his case, said uh, his his petition is largely incoherent. We have no idea what he's asking for. He's just a loon, um, and so uh, that's pretty common. Usually, it's habeas petitions where they name um, you know everybody they don't like, including their warden and associated with Satan or whatnot. And mostly, the courts just toss them out. Um, I do have a funny story about, um, it's difficult to pronounce, but there's a plaintiff actually, uh, Mr. Solzhenitsyn, I think, uh, it stands for, I am the B666, the Lord of Hosts and Edmund Frank McGilvery Jr. now. Uh, and so he claims that he is the beast. He is Satan. And so he starts suing folks. Um, uh, mostly what he sued was to overturn his conviction for threatening to shoot up a daycare center. Um, and he, he got convicted of, of, several crimes, um, including, uh, the threat itself, um, uh, some, some online harassment. He got convicted of that and also a marijuana charge. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the, the court for, for various reasons said, yeah, the only thing you, you should have been convicted for was the drug charge. Uh, everything else was pretty incoherent. So, um, so yeah, he, he, he claims to be Satan himself, but the, the court just approaches him as a human being with a, a weird name. So hmm. mostly they, they try to, it seems like the judges try to have a sense of humor about this or just pretend none, none of it is happening and approach whatever claims they can actually identify that are coherent. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder if changing public perceptions of Satanism and what Satanism might mean in a cultural sense might affect how courts deal with some of these issues going 
forward. I mean, in particular, I'm thinking of like, you know, the sort of increasing prominence, for example, of groups like the Satanic Temple, which, as you suggested earlier, seemed to be more kind of like almost kind of really better characterized as like secular groups promoting humanist ideals. I mean, I wonder to what extent that can and should sort of change the perception of what it means to talk about somebody being a Satanist or believing in Satan or following Satan in a legal context. Yeah, well, it's it's funny. Like groups like that, like they're mostly performance artists and protest groups. But the problem there is people don't like them either. Um, you know, they're, they're troublemakers too. Like the 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 uh, Satanic Temple based in Chicago uh, uh, erected a gigantic statue to Baphomet and put it on the Arkansas uh, state capitol grounds. Right, that didn't go over well. Uh, it, it's it. It doesn't really change. I mean, people hate atheists too, and that's that's part of the problem they face is that they, the atheists are still viewed as troublemakers and uh, among a lot of people as well. Um, or, or you know, you're you're really just a Satanist, but you because you deny the existence of God. Um, so, as far as the PR aspect of it goes, it doesn't. I think more and more people appreciate that literal satanic power is not really something that we see a lot. Um, statistically, it's pretty rare that people actually are in league with Satan and Satan is working through them. Um, and so that helps to some extent where you think, yeah, I mean, so what if somebody is accusing you of Satan worship? You're probably not a Satan worshiper. I mean, the satanic panic of the 90s being an exception. But since then, I mean, most of the the folks have been exonerated from that. You, you mentioned that earlier, that era. Um, and I, I talk about that in the article after you know, the book Michelle Remembers was published and the media really took off. I mean, I remember when I went to Murray State University here in Kentucky, right? Everybody knew about the the, the abandoned house in the woods where the Satanists met to do their rituals, right? There were no Satanists having rituals, but everybody knew that story. That was going on. You know, I, I was in college in the 90s and that was the big thing. Um you had the the West Memphis uh, the West Memphis uh, uh, murders and you know, the guys that were thrown in jail for that for that. Most of those folks have been exonerated, and most people think I think today, you know, it wasn't really Satan. It, you know, if somebody murders somebody, it's not because Satan is guiding their hand, and they have worldly motives for for what they did. Um, nevertheless, you still have a lot of really conservative religious communities, and when you're drawing from a jury in a very conservative religious community. A Satan accusation may still go pretty far and you still have prison systems, right? Uh, to this day, we haven't gotten any less punitive in this country. Um, you have very large prison systems that still ban satanic books and still treat Satanists as, as uh, inherently evil and dangerous. Um, it, they don't consider it a, a benign religious belief like we think of Christianity or, or uh, Islam, at least in most places in the United States. Um, so I think it still has that bad, bad reputation in the places that really matter for the purposes of the law, especially for inmates uh, who are subject to uh, prison uh, dominance, uh, you know, the power of the warden. Uh, the fact that they still are viewed very uh, unfavorably is, is I don't think it's changed at all. Um, I, I don't know if defamation claims will be as, as successful. I mean, I, I'm trying to cite this is uh, the devil in recent American law. So most of these cases are, are pretty recent. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, the courts, there's good, a lot of good precedent that says a, a, a devil accusation is real bad for your reputation. And, you know, 
precedent, as we know, can can be ahistorical or it can work against progress. Um, and so even if our community now doesn't think anything of a satanic accusation, you got a lot of great case law that says it, it's really bad. Um, so if you're a, a potential plaintiff out there and you want to sue somebody. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't see a, a big transition. Most of these cases are, are pretty recent. The courts are most of them have come from the 90s and the early 2000s. But I don't see a big shift on this. And, and you know, our, our United States as it is, is still, uh, you know, power wise is still dominated by Christian conservatives. Um, and it's it I don't see a lot of leeway being made for Satanists. I mean, and, and a lot of them, even the secular ones portray themselves as troublemakers in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, to to step, to affect a, a political point. Um, but, you know, as troublemakers, they're usually frowned upon by a lot of folks. Um, and so I don't know if it's going to change much. Uh, maybe, maybe if there's a, a big satanic revival and, and uh, you know, it really starts to pick up. Uh, but I, I just don't see it. it's a tiny minority religion if it exists at all, and uh, and they are mostly still scorned. Mm-hmm. Well, so Joe, in in closing, uh, in the paper, you kind of disclaim any kind of broader, big picture theoretical claims or observations. You kind of provide a amusing and provocative survey of how courts have uh, addressed, wrestled with, with greater or lesser degrees of, of success, this issue. But I mean, I wonder if you could spend a, a minute or two just kind of taking a step back and reflecting on sort of, do you see any sort of bigger picture theoretical sort of framing or kind of a judicial theory of what it means to talk about Satan and Satanism reflected in the materials that you, that you studied for this article? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm reluctant to do that. Uh, mostly, you know, just, just real quick. I, I, I write from a descriptive perspective. I'm a practitioner at heart. Um, I, as a practitioner, I want to read about how the courts are actually ruling so I can craft my arguments around that and, and understand how the precedent works. Um, and so I approached this article mostly like, a, as, as you said, a survey to really get an idea of what's going on out there first. But as I was writing, part of the reason I put that disclaimer in there, and I wrote that after I'd done most of my research and most of my writing, is because each of these sections in my article could easily be three or four more articles each. Um, and and I wanted to kind of a, a trigger to myself to to think bigger about this stuff. And I think generally speaking, our society recognizes that Satanism is a bad label to have in our society. It works against you. Even if you sincerely believe in it, it works against you. The power structure in our court system and in, in who, you know, who our judges are, who our wardens are, who our executives are. The structure is is not in your favor, right? You are you are a not just a minority religion, but a scorned minority religion, and it's kind of I mean you can't get away from it because of the role Satan plays in Christian theology. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to have a totally different God, but you identify with the arch villain of world culture, right? The 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 bad guy. You're saying I worship the bad guy. That's problematic legally speaking. Um, and so in almost all these situations, right, it, it, it results in some kind of tangibly bad result for you, generally speaking, even as defamation plaintiffs, right? It, being associated with Satan, your reputation got hurt. 
Um, if you're in prison, you're not going to get your, your holy book and you're probably going to get picked on by your warden. Um, you know, your will might be uh, uh, negated. Now, of course, you don't care. You're dead. But, but you know, your will might be uh, negated because, you know, your relatives can prove that you believed in Satan just a little too much. And therefore, we can't trust that you, your will is an accurate reflection of what you wanted. Um, it can land you in prison. It can help get you convicted of a crime. Now, I'm, uh, I'm not sure that any anybody uh, that uh, I cite in my article was actually innocent. I don't know that. Um, but it's it's probably not going to help you in sentencing um, if if the prosecutor successfully admits evidence that you're a sat uh, Satanist. Um, so I, I, I'll say I, I'll say this. I have concerns, right? I have a big concern about our professed secularity of our court system that we say we're not going to do religious tests because it seems to me like we do them all the time. Okay. And, and we do them especially in the, uh, uh, the assessment of hyper-religious delusions and insanity defenses and whatnot. We do it all the time. And we also do it um, in, you know, assessing, we go beyond sincerity in the prison uh, situation where your, your belief itself is a propensity towards violence. Um, and that's something that uh, uh, courts in other contexts probably would not do, or at least they say they won't. And there's also potentially lots of evidence being admitted that should not be admitted against folks uh, based on that. So I don't know if, if there's a, a unifying theory, it's that we're really hypocritical when it comes to Satanism as far as religious belief compared to how we treat uh, uh, Christians and other other claimants. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe. This was a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed your paper, and I hope listeners will check it out. Great. I really appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for having me.
tonight. <laughs> 